Amen. What a gift to have these guys leading us in worship this weekend while Chad is away. uh, If you didn't already know, the Agape Tour is happening right now, and so that's why this front row is a little bit more lean than usual, and so excited for them. If you could keep them in your prayers, that'd be fantastic. Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. It's fun kind of having my my wife up there doing announcements. I think she's a strong performer there, so... The, um, and, and just my, my plug on the, on the women's stuff, really, the, the hope is there's a lot of ladies that put a lot of effort into all of this, and so it'd be a shame if we missed out ladies on some of the things that uh, they've been putting all this work into, and so let's make sure that we're participating and joining in. It's so fun to come together and develop some of those relationships in those environments. So, uh, but this morning, we're continuing in the book of James, and uh, we're going to be working through the second part of chapter one here this morning, and the topic kind of takes a turn, and the topic is temptation. And the topic of temptation, what comes to mind for you immediately? The thing that first comes to mind for me is food. 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 Anybody else have food issues out there? I have I confess that here in front of all of us, that food has a strong draw, and it's become a more of an issue since food no longer like stops in my stomach, it goes straight to my love handles, anybody else in that, that position? And so, but my biggest thing uh, as far as food goes is the chocolate chip cookie. Anybody else fall prey to the chocolate chip cookie? The, and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the store bought. I've kind of learned how to fight past the Chips Ahoy and the Sam's Club. I'm talking about I'm talking about the homemade, hot and fresh, like special grandma's old recipe kind of chocolate chip cookie. I mean, there is something about that. The smell of that. Can you bring that to mind right now? The smell of a cookie coming out. Everybody's like going to walk out on me right now. Uh, co- coming to mind of, of, of just when it's first out of the oven, you still break it in half and the chocolate's kind of dripping there. Anybody like that? I'm strange. I also like chocolate chip cookies. Anybody done this where you put them in the freezer and they're frozen? Frozen chocolate chip cookies I'm a big fan of. And so uh, I'm introducing all kinds of new uh, challenges. But for me, it was, it was funny. In my early 30s, uh, I started developing an allergy to a couple different things, two of those being dairy and eggs. Bummer, huh? And, and so both of those being ingredients in the chocolate chip cookie, which then became more of a problem because I didn't want to give up the chocolate chip cookie, but my body was saying no more chocolate chip cookies. And so here's the thing. What I've discovered is that I can have two that number three, not so good. And so, uh, and so uh, that, that, that's where I've learned to have some degree of restraint uh, with those. But that doesn't mean we can't still bake those for all of our events. Um, but the, the chocolate chip cookie comes to mind with temptation. But the truth is, as we get into the text, is uh, that chocolate chip cookies isn't all the temptation that we're faced with in the world here today, Right? Right? There's, there's a lot of stuff coming at us from a lot of different directions. And the, the definition, I, I enjoyed the definition that, uh, that, MacArthur, that MacArthur gave for temptation, a solicitation to evil, an invite to evil. An invite to evil is 
by definition, temptation. That's what we're talking about here this morning. And it's something that, as we're going to see in our text, is part of the human experience. It's part of everybody's experience that we go through life. There is temptation. Again, any amens? Yes. Some amens on that. We're going to continue the tradition that uh, John Irwin started here where we actually stand to read the text. I'm going to start by reading the entire text that we're in. If you could stand up, if you have a Bible in hand, we're in James 1, 13 through 18, or cell phone or iPad or whatever you choose to look at God's Word by using. We're looking at James 1, 13 through 18, and I'm going to read that for us if you want to just follow along. <clears throat> Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be, kind, be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Go ahead and have a seat. Let me pray as we dive into the text here this morning. Dear God, we thank you for this word and the challenge that it is for us and the reality that each one of us faces temptations. Not we did face temptations, not we're going to face temptations. We currently face temptations on a regular basis. We thank you that your word is so practical. I ask that you'd speak to us from it, that you give, give us some tangible things that we can walk away with to better equip us in facing temptation. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we start by looking in verse 13 there. We start by seeing this first fact. It says this, Let no one say when he is tempted. It goes on to say, to, to continue, but the word I wanted to stop and look at there. Let no one say when he is tempted. And that's what I started by talking about here this morning. That temptation is a universal experience. From the day you're born till the day present, it's part of every day. It's part of everyday life. It's what we experience. It's part of the human condition. Every human being is tempted. There are no exceptions. One author says that a Christian baptism doesn't drown the flesh. That there's still that, that part of us that, that, that's drawn to temptation. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But what does this look like, temptation in the present world that we're in? I thought it was interesting, the discipleship journal did a survey asking people what their greatest areas of temptation were. What do you think some of those are? By the number, numbers one through five, this is what was listed in this, in this uh, survey. Number one, materialism. Materialism. Number one area that people say, feel tempted, feel that draw. Number two, pride. Number two, pride. Number three, self-centeredness. Number four, laziness. thought that was interesting. Number five was a tie between sexual lust and bitterness. Bitterness being another area of temptation. The evil one wants us to suffer in silence, thinking that, that we're the only ones suffering with a particular area of temptation. But the truth is, 
every single one of us, this is part of our life. It's part of the human condition. It's part of our experience that it says, let no one say when he is tempted. That's part of, the, part of our reality. And I love that, that the idea that's presented there is that it's common because so many times we think when we're in our private sin and our private area to struggle, man, am I the only one going through this? Am I the only one facing this? And in that separation from reality that the whole world is facing it, we start to close off and think, man, is it just me? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It's freeing to see in different Christian circles that we're starting to acknowledge this, that the fact that it is a, a part of the human condition. There's a, a, a book out that's called Every Man's Battle. It starts to acknowledge the fact that sexual temptation is part of the reality for every man. It's a battle that we exist in. For ladies, the, I, I love how many books are out there in studies that, that address the fact that there's this, this draw to find your self-worth in appearance. Find your self-worth in the way that you look. Part of the common experience that we all have. But it's also, although it's common, it's also personal. We have, God, for whatever reason, allows us to experience temptation in a unique and different way each. In fact, we're going to have an open mic up here this morning and have a chance for you to come and share what some of those areas. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. So no open mic, but the truth is a lot of times we suffer from guilt because of our area of temptation. And the truth is temptation isn't the problem. Temptation isn't the sin. It's our response to temptation. We can get sucked, sucked into feeling guilty because, man, I keep having this, this area that I feel tempted in and it keeps coming back and keeps coming back and we beat ourselves up for that. But that's not where the sin lies. We're going to see in the text that the, that the sin lies in our response to it, how we respond to it. And that's why it's so encouraging to see that Jesus Christ, although he experienced temptation, was able to live a life in success and victory over it. Hebrews 4.15 says this, might have this memorized. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. So it's, it's possible in the power of the Holy Spirit to see victory over our areas of temptation. Anybody excited about that possibility? This, this morning, there's some real practical things in our text that actually point to that as we continue. So first, we start to, in the text by seeing that temptation is a universal experience, but we also see how we tend to respond to temptation, we typically, we're going to see here, choose to blame. We typically choose to blame. Look as the text continues. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So not only is it common for all of us that we're tempted, but it's also common for us to blame. I've noticed even having young kids, and maybe some of you parents can acknowledge this, that blame is not something that necessarily needs to be taught. We don't need to do a special homeschool session on it. We don't need to, we don't need to prepare. I have a daughter named uh, Sienna. Uh, he's our, she's our youngest. And you see that cute little girl, girl there in the tire swing, looking all innocent. She is queen 
at blaming anyone and everyone except for herself. Getting her to own her own junk is like, like you try to tie down, a, I don't know, a lizard. Uh, and, and so... And so this, uh, this little cute daughter of mine, Sienna, like you, you confront her with an area where she's messed up. And uh, Mario, do your kids ever blame others than themselves for... Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> That's because Mario has the perfect family. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, but kids teach us that this is part of... It's, it's ingrained. It's in us from day one. We know how to blame and Adam and Eve were very good at that too, right? All the way back in Genesis 3, what, what happened with Adam when he was confronted with his sin? Look at who he blames. The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave from the, the tree and I ate. Do you notice the double blame there with Adam? Look at, look at the double blame. The woman, yes, the woman made me do it. So that's a famous one. And then, and then that who gave you? That you gave me. So he's not only bl- blaming others, he's blaming God as well. And the ladies are right, like, all right, amen. It's the, it's the men are in this. But look at when, when Eve is confronted, she picks another person to blame. When she's confronted with a sin, what is it that you have done? She replied, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Like, that's, like both of them falling directly into the blame game. And the ironic thing to me, as you think about blame is it really hasn't changed much since the beginning. Look at the three areas that are blamed there just with their response to sin. Others, Satan, God. Others, Satan, God. That's who our natural bent is towards blame to find the other areas of people or beings to blame. Others, how often do we do that as adults if we're honest with ourselves? High schoolers, I wouldn't have all these problems in high school if it wasn't for Jennifer. You fill in the name. I don't know who Jennifer is. I made that up. (laughs) Adults, I wouldn't get so angry if my wife would just stop nagging me. Amen. (laughs) That's not where we're putting in an amen. That's kind of funny. Uh, How about this one? If my brother ever asked for forgiveness, I would extend it. Notice the blame there. If my parents had been there for me as a kid, we tend to blame. We love to redirect fault to any person other than ourselves. So that's the others. How about the Satan piece? How often have you heard somebody say this? The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it, right? How often do you hear that? I was thinking, first off, I think it's important that we have a biblical understanding of Satan. I think we give him a little bit more credit than he deserves. First off, Satan is not omnipresent. And so, most likely, you have not had an encounter with Satan. How about that? You ever think about that? Out of the billions of people on this planet, if you've had an encounter with 
the prince of darkness, you'd probably remember it, and it probably wasn't in the last week. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so sometimes, now I, I'm not saying that he hasn't set up a world system and there's demonic forces that are all a part of this, this temptation piece, but sometimes, let's make sure that we're giving appropriate credit to him being a, a created being and underneath the, the, the reign of God Almighty. I hate when we elevate him as a peer. Like, that's, that's craziness. So the devil made me do it. So let's not give him overdue credit. Doesn't mean that he's not responsible for a world system that tempts, demonic forces that tempts, but still a choice on our behalf. The other one that the text actually speaks to. So others, Satan and God. James addresses this as maybe one of the worst, the worst that he confronts directly. But how many of us would say like, oh, I, don't, I would never blame God. Like, I don't do that. Like, that, that would be the worst. But how often have we made the excuse or the blame of saying, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. Which subtly is saying, who made me this way? God made me this way. God's, God, God's the one to blame for that. It's just the way that I am. How many times do you hear that when you're dealing with anger? Or how about this? Some people not so subtly with that. That's the way God made me. God made me this way. We seeing any trend in our culture towards that? Seeing any, any, anybody noticing that in our culture? God made me this way. When we adopt our area of struggle as part of our identity from God, how can we hope to have victory over it? Let me repeat that. When we adopt our area of struggle as part of our identity from God, how can we hope to see victory over it? It breaks my heart how many times I've had conversations with the, the, the high school kid or the, the college age kid that's really struggling with the, the homosexual temptation. And what is their response? They're wrestling through, is that who I am? Is that my identity? And I feel like the battle is lost when they embrace that as part of their identity. That's who I am. Imagine if we did that with every area of, of struggle or temptation that we face. If we started adopting that and personalizing, how would you have victory over areas of struggle? Does that make sense? What if somebody that struggles with lying was just like, I'm a liar. That's who I am. That's part of who I am. Like, what if you took that kind of ownership to each area of our struggle? That's a dangerous existence. I feel the tug and pull towards infidelity. What if you're just like, well, I'm a cheater. You know what I mean? Like, what, what would happen if we did that with every area of struggle and temptation? It's a dangerous thing when we start to adopt our identity as our area of struggle. And that's what it's pointing out here. Don't blame God. That's not how God made you. It may be an area that you struggle in. It's not who you are. It goes on in the text. It says, God himself, it says, God himself tempts no one. He may allow it, but he's not the source of it. Where do, we call, where do we call the blame? I like this quote. God, well, it says, it, it says this, like a sunbeam shining on a dump is never touched by the trash. Like a sunbeam shining on a dump is never touched by the trash. God is untemptable. He's not the source of it. We shouldn't blame him for it. He, he may allow it, but it's not coming from him. So it goes on in the, in the text in verse 14, we see temptation starts within and leads to disaster. Verse 14, 
But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. It's interesting how many different uh, cop shows or movies that are out there have the, the unexpected twist and you find out that the person that was working as a police officer, hopefully this isn't going to be John, was the one, was the one, the insider, the one that was guilty. Like you, you, you always come to that, that cross, uh, that, that point in a movie where like, you're like, no, we never expected it. We never saw it coming. Well, how true is that in our own walk, in our own Christian walk? You're like, wait a second, I'm the bad guy. This is terrible news. But that's what the text is saying. It says that, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's where temptation starts, that there's an enemy within. There's an enemy within each one of us. Don't be deceived about your identity apart from Christ. Like we're fallen, we're broken. Like there's, there's, there's pieces of us. That's what lures us to temptation. The temptation itself feeds off of our own desires. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this about ourselves. The heart is more deceitful than all else and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Matthew 26, 41, Jesus warned, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Flesh is weak. Although we've been gloriously saved by and the Holy Spirit's living inside of us, we still have corrupted longings, passions, and lust. It's part of the fallen state that we're in. We notice in the text that it points to the kind of the flow of how temptation works. It starts with this. It starts with the desire piece. And these are four D's for all of the uh, Baptist folks in here. So four D's, desire, deception, disobedience, and death. We'll start with desire. It's our disposi disposition, predisposition towards sin. And the funny thing about desire is you may notice this in your life. It can strike at any time. You can be just kind of going along your, in your day and everything's going great. And then all of a sudden that thought pops into your head and you're like, where did that come from? Anybody else have that experience? Or are you going to leave me standing here? The desire, <laughs> desires, you never see them coming. They, they, they come and you're like, where? anybody sometimes disgusted by that? You're like, where did that come from? Like, where did that, where does that stem out of? So it starts with a desire and then deception is, is kind of the, the piece, and it says in the, uh, in the text there, it says that you're lured and enticed. What comes to mind is the, the, a fish hook, right? The Kind of the bait that's kind of lured there. And that's so many times the way that Satan, maybe it's using the world system or our, our own desires, that hook is there. And the interesting thing is, is that the bait can be so appealing that you start to lose sense of caution or reason because we desire it so much. The deception is that it's so good that it, it will be worth any potentially negative outcome. That's the deception. We start to buy into the thought like, man, this is going to be so good, it doesn't even matter. 
We all of a sudden, like the, like the, like the fish headed to the, the, the hook where it sees the worm dangling there, and it sees that strange-shaped uh, metal object, but I don't care because the worm looks so great, right? And bam, bites it, pays the ultimate price. How similar is that to us? Lured and enticed, bait is so appealing that you lose sense of caution or reason because we desire it. How often God uses things that he's, that, or how, how often we experience, whether it's Satan's attack or our own desires, that, that is just a slight twist of something that God created to be good, right? Like how often is temptation, like you think of almost all the things that are thrown out there as areas of temptation where it's just a slight bend off of what God designed, right? So you think of, uh, of the temptation, uh, sexual temptation, God designed it. It's supposed, to be aw- it's supposed to be an awesome thing in the context of marriage. A slight twist to it, going outside of, outside of his parameters. Or how, how about this one? How about the desire for the, the perfect spouse? The perfect spouse. Our, our media, the world creates this, this image of what the ideal man or woman looks like. And, that's, that's a, that's a, and you're, you're probably sitting right next to them right now. And, um, but, but, but how often that, that, that might be that might be another hook, if you will, thinking there, that there's that somebody out there that's going to just meet all of your needs and, and provide everything. It's that inner desire for intimacy that maybe only God was designed to fulfill. So it's maybe not a bad thing. Maybe, 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 maybe it's, it's the idea of finding it in the wrong place, a human relationship. Think of all the different areas that Satan perverts, music, stories, all these things that are, that are of God and, and a good thing, God, t- they, they, they get twisted. And then what happens after the deception, we come to that crossroads. What do we do with it? Do we choose to partake or do we choose to resist? Disobedience is the third D, disobedience. And that's where we make the ch- choice that we choose to just dive in. You're saying, I don't care. I desire it. It seems great. The potential damage that could come from it. I'm not even concerned about that. I'm going to partake. And that's the sin element. And that's where we actually begin to fall into sin. I, uh, I, I think the, the idea of uh, going back to the fish, I've, I've been fishing a few times, not a whole lot. Uh, and this isn't to point out any fishermen. But to me, when you bring the fish in on the hook, tell me if I'm crazy here. When you look at that fish isn't there a certain something in that fish's eye that's like panic, I'm stuck, and I can't get out? Does anybody else see that in a fish's eye? Like, I'm serious. Like, maybe I'm strange. But when you see a fish and it's got the hook there, and it's got that rolled back eye thing on, and, uh, and you see that. And how often is that the same exact thing? I see some people looking at me like, you're weird. Uh, but, but, but that idea is the same with sin. Once that hook gets you, you're stuck. You're trapped. All of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a second. Maybe the, maybe the, the pleasure that was promised or the, the good things that were, I was enticed with, maybe the payoff isn't there. Anybody else been burned by sin? With the, it, it sells hard, but like the delivery is just not there, right? And so that's what we see in the, the process. Desire, our desire that it feeds off of, the deception, the hook, then the d- disobedience, and then what does the, the text say that it, that it leads to? 
the process. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. We just talked about. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Wait a second. Wait a second. That's a pretty, that's a pretty, serious, pretty serious term. For the non-believer, sin spirals this way. It eventually brings them to the point where they never in their 70, 80, 90, 100 years here on earth never bend a knee, never embrace Jesus' death as payment for their sins. They, to their dying day, they shake a fist at that free gift offer. And that's the death that the non-believer experiences, both physical and spiritual. But here I believe it's when he's talking to believers, it's a different kind of death. Thought it was interesting, Chuck Swindoll says this, James is not referring here to physical death, or none of us would be alive, nor is he referring to spiritual death, for then no one could be saved. The fulfillment of our lust in the believer's life brings about a death-like existence. Brings about a death-like existence. Going on where you go into the habit of sin Bite by bit, bit by bit, you die a little bit more on the inside. It's a dying process. And that's how sin works in the believer's life. All of a sudden, the, the passion diminishes. The heart for outreach, not such a big deal anymore. Desire for intimacy with Christ through the word, it's gone. It's just not there. Prayer life dissolves. Fervor for worshiping with other believers, not so critical. We got a sporting event to get to. Oh, sorry, was that too touchy? <laughs> Desire for intimacy with Christ, the word gone. Fervor for worshiping with other believers, no longer able to hear that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking in our life. These are the things we die to. Over time, we start to get more and more numb less and less in tune with the Spirit, less driven to a passionate relationship with Christ, less of a burden for the loss, the fact that we have souls that we're surrounded with that are headed to a Christless eternity. Shouldn't that shake us up a little bit? Shouldn't that rattle our cages? That's what happens when sin gets a grip in our life. We become numb. That's the death that it's referring to. After David sinned, notice his words, and as he's pleading back to God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Take me out of this life, this existence of death. That's what we're invited to. The, the invitation is to come back to the joy what God's designed us to live. When we don't fall into temptation, we have so much potential. Take a look as in verse 16 as it goes on as the alternate choice of this desire, deception, disobedience, death. The alternate choice is so much better. Take a look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is where we find strength to fight temptation. 
This is the source. Take a look what it says there. It says, do not be deceived as it starts this section. At first when I was reading this, I thought this was like a whole independent section, like one topic to another topic. You know how St. James tends to do that? But the truth is, these are intrinsically linked. Do not be deceived. The battle happens in our mind, right? So he's saying, so James is saying, don't be deceived. We're, we're in a world that, that understands where this battle happens. You, you know, I was reading this week that $450 billion are spent annually on advertising. We're in a world that gets it, that advertising, they get it that this is all in your mind. And so that's where James is saying do not be deceived, knowing that Satan's primary tool is lies, that, that, that what he tries to do is he tries to, what's the lie that he tries to tell us? He tries to tell us that this is better than what God offers, right? That what God says is good is a lie, and what I have to offer is better. And we even start to believe that in our own psyche, that maybe God's keeping the really good stuff from us. But what James is pointing out here is he's saying, hey, make sure you understand this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, is from above. Let's make sure we're clear on the source of where the good stuff is coming from. You know what I'm saying? Like, make sure we get it because that's the key in temptation is understanding where it says, where the, where the good things are coming from. John 10, 10 says that Christ came so that we might have life to its fullest. That's where the good stuff is at. I was yesterday, I was, uh, had a little bit of free time, which I haven't found much of lately. Um, but I had some time with, uh, Adrian was, uh, taking my, our son to a birthday party and uh, having a good old time. And I was left with my two daughters. And so we have this little uh, park up the block from us. It's uh, the name of it, Forest Cove, uh, at the top of the hill. So we're up there and it has these two little mounds if you've ever been to that, that park. And I was just standing up in the mound and the first time I'd really had a chance to like exhale in a, in a while. Just to, and, and, they, and they said this, they said, why don't you be the coach while we do races? And I'm like, that sounds really good. That means I'm not running, I'm sitting and coaching. And so, so I sat at the top of this hill, was just kind of looking around. It has a beautiful view of the valley, the mountain range there. The grass is green, the birds are chirping. My, my daughters are, are, are running, they're racing from one hill to the next, barefoot, back and forth. And there's a certain piece of me that was like, huh, this is good. Like, this is good. Like, God is good. Like, the, the things that he has given to us in this lifetime, family, friends, relationships, purpose, all the things that he offers is good stuff, right? And so there, there's a certain element when I'm with my daughters chasing lizards for then the next hour, they're hard to catch. And, uh, and so... <laughs> And, uh, and, and, and I was like, you know what? This is good. Why would we settle for the stuff that Satan is telling us? Oh, this is going to be great. Come enjoy this. Come enjoy this. When the text here is saying, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from, a, from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And I love this with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's not like he was good. 
It's not like the stories of his faithfulness in the scripture is like, yeah, the good old days. No, he doesn't change. In fact, Malachi 3, 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. He even says it himself, I don't change. So when, when we're basking in God's goodness, why would anything evil have any attraction to us? When we're basking in his goodness, why would anything have any attraction to us? When we're, when we're in an intimate relationship with him, when we're enjoying the good gifts that he gives us, why would we be tempted by anything? And then he reminds us, so not only is he the source of all things good, like you can't come up with anything that's not him being the source of it if it's good. And then it goes on, it says in, in the text, it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What is, it, what is that saying? Of his own will, he brought us forth in our lost and fallen state. He brought us to the truth, brought us to the gospel message, brought us to life of the fullest if we embrace Jesus' death as payment for our sins so that then we can become first fruits. And I'm pretty sure it's not like fruity, like it's first fruits. Like I, I, I maybe, maybe I, we can appreciate John 1.12 better if you don't resonate with being a first fruit. But uh, John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. God brought us in our lost state, state. It says in the text there that of his own will, he brought us forth. He chose to pursue us in our lost state, brought us into a relationship, and then made us children. In, in the text, as first fruits. The idea of being something of value. When we stop and we actually think about this, we start, start to realize who God is first, being the source of all things good, but then the fact that he chose us, pursued us, brought us to himself, gave us a new identity as children of his, all of a sudden temptation kind of falls by the wayside. When we make the choice to stop blaming, we begin to recognize how temptation works, we understand who God is and our identity in him we begin to realize that we can have victory over temptation. It doesn't have to have rain in our life. When we understand the process, like, hey, it starts with my own desires, but wait, I don't have to do it. Temptation isn't the sin. There's a choice in this. I have God that, that chose to embrace me as his own child. He wants to be my source of strength. He offers all kinds of good stuff. That's what James told me. He's the source of all good things. All of a sudden, this mental battle isn't as much of a tug of war, right? It's not as much of a tug of war. What room does Satan have to tempt you or your own desires have room to tempt you when you're grounded in that truth? What room does it have? All of a sudden, like, you're untemptable because you're grounded in the fact that all things good come from the Lord you're grounded in that. He chose me, chose to make me a child of his, to empower me to have victory. All of a sudden, you're like, wait a second, I can do this. I can do this. I want to close with this encouraging passage from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also 
provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that we don't have to fall pray to our temptation, to the desires and the lusts of the flesh that we can resist, that we can have victory in you. We thank you for the reminder that although Satan offers so many things saying they're going to be good, they're going to be better, that your words promises and so consistently reveals that you are the author of all things good. I pray if there's anything that we take away from this morning, that that would rattle in our brains a bit this week. When we're, when we're struggling with the temptation of materialism, pride, bitterness, self-centeredness, when we're, when we're stuck in this, this, this onslaught of media and world as men with the sexual temptation that's everywhere we turn, that we're reminded that no, God, you're the source of all things good. Pray that you do a work in each one of us in this area, God, that you'd empower us to have victory. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name, amen.
Amen. Let's grab a seat for a second. Couldn't end with a more perfect song than that. Did you guys notice how those words resonate with the topic? I am um, well, grateful again for these guys being here. Wanted to just take a, a minute, uh, if it's okay with you guys, for a little church update. Is that fair? So probably about once a month, I'll do a, a little family chat, if you will. But this one's just in the form of a, an announcement form, just so give you guys a, a, a staffing update. So you guys know next week we're taking some time. Uh, to, to celebrate John and the, just what a, uh, what a blessing he's been in, in ministering here so faithfully and really honestly and genuinely believe like the church wouldn't be where it's at without his uh, faithfulness. So grateful for him. Uh, and, and as we're assessing just uh, with the elders and just talking through staffing, uh, we were coming to the conclusion that, that John was kind of playing two different roles, kind of an associate pastor role and kind of a youth role meshed into one kind of a deal. And, uh, and so uh, this, uh, as we're thinking through kind of staffing issues, we're thinking allotment of, uh, of, of, of uh, staff dollars and thinking through who to bring in. We came to the conclusion as I'm talking with the elder team that it would make a lot more sense to hire uh, an associate pastor part-time and a youth pastor part-time. So kind of like a 30-hour associate, a 20 to 30-hour uh, youth-focused uh, person. And, uh, and so we're, uh, so that started us kind of exploring through like, well, well, who would maybe be a good fit for the associate pastors? We're really wanting to make sure that we're doing a, a great job of caring for uh, adults and making sure the people that are coming to the church are getting really invested in. And, and so at the, at the, it was an interesting God thing because I really believe um, in the couple of weeks after starting here, I had, uh, before I even, this was even on the topic, I had, was talking to uh, John Irwin, he's a great counselor and friend, and was just saying, what do you, is asking him kind of what he saw next in, in, in his life and in ministries, like, you know, I, I really feel like the, be really interesting for me to find a, a church and, and come in and, and, and be an associate pastor, be a support to maybe a younger pastor, and, uh, and really be a blessing there and kind of contribute all the, uh, all the experience that I've gotten to ha- have and really invest in that. That, in that church, and it got me thinking. I was like, "Hmm, interesting." <laughs> and uh, and so uh, you can probably guess where th- this is uh, this is heading. So I had a conversation with him a little bit about that, intrigued by the idea. He said, "He said, well, maybe that's why I like really loved that church and couldn't find somewhere else that I liked as much." And uh, and so it ended up conversations. Conversations led to me talking to the elder board about this possibility and idea. And uh, and long story short, we extended an offer to uh, John Irwin to be the next associate pastor here at ABF. And so um, so we're uh, we're ex- excited about about that. And so uh, so John's going to be working with uh, small groups specifically, with uh, men's ministry, is going to be helping with ushers, greeters, all that, that kind of piece, and really working uh, personality style-wise. I kind of describe uh, John as an otter. And, uh, and so... <laughs> Uh, like every like who doesn't like an otter and uh, and, and, and so um and so, like, John's going to really help with the process of moving people from sitting kind of on the sidelines to moving them into community and to involvement here at ABF. And so it's going to be a real support. And uh, also just with some of the leadership development things that we do, he has a, a wealth of experience in working a lot of years as an associate pastor. In fact, the majority of his career has been that. And so we're excited uh, to have him starting on the 22nd, uh, which is a Monday. And so just a couple weeks away. 
And so uh, I know we had a farewell uh, party for John, uh, but, uh, but we're going to have kind of a, a welcome of John there. there. And, um, and so that's, the, that's the, the latest update, and so excited to see how God's going to use that uh, in future ministry here at ABF. Sound good? So, all right, so that's the, the, the update, but as we kind of conclude the, the service, one of the things that we've wanted to uh, just have a heart for is, is really make ourselves available at the end of the service with elders available to pray. Whatever you're going through, the hope is, is that you wouldn't leave here carrying it with uh, you. And we've, uh, somebody brought up the idea of like, man, we need some ladies up there, and so we're, we're going to be figuring that uh, out too, just so it's not all dudes. Uh, and so, uh, so we'll, we'll just end our service with that, with the opportunity, if there is something that we can lift up for you in prayer, feel free to come up right here at the end of the service. God bless you. I pray you have a wonderful week.